He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. I've got a great show for you today. i got Nick Zito coming on. The man, the legend. But before we get to Nick, I want to tell you about a special promo that we're running at Racing with Bruno. This is about making sure that in this day and age of new normal, you got bullets at the racetrack and with the works. Being a horse player, and we live for the races, this is what we do, and being a horse player like you, I know what horse players needs. He or she needs information, exclusive information. Exclusive information is knowledge. Knowledge is a powerful tool. We've got Derby, Keeneland, and Breeders' Cup coming up soon. It's right around the corner. Get on board, and we would like to offer you 25% off all subscriptions this week and only this week. Use the coupon code SPA and get your discount only available for a limited time. Go to RacingWithBruno.com. I have been looking forward to this for a long time. Way back when I was in California in the 1990s and early 2000s, I was always captivated by a character that was uh, dominating the East Coast. His name was Nick Zito. And when I came out to to the East Coast, I got a chance to, to get to know him. And let me tell you something. The man's a legend. And... He joins us. Nick, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, there's, uh, there's other phone calls that are coming in, but go ahead. I'm, I'm here, Bryn. I'm all ears. Shoot. All right. Well, we got Nick Zito with us, and uh, first of all, he doesn't need an introduction. Uh, the man is... Uh, he's, he, he, I mean, the guy has had over 70 triple crown starters, which is only second and most in history. He's had 37 Breeders' Cup starters, which is uh, in, in top 10 in history. Nick, I got to tell you something. If anybody grows up into this game, they don't want to be a Pletcher. They don't want to be a Chad Brown. They want to be a Nick Zito. Uh, so nice here to say that. Well, I mean, you know, obviously the pageantry, the romance, the love of the game and uh you know, Ron had mentioned a good friend of mine, Hank Goldberg. We had talked about that at length one day. But, you know, the game is still a game. It's just like all the other sports, baseball, football, basketball. You know, right now with the virus, it's a different thing. But thank you for being so kind and say that. But I grew up in an era where those races were, you know, precious and it was a thrill to be in them. And that's what we basically put our whole career around. And Thank you for bringing up. I didn't even know that. So we were second. We run in the Triple Crown. Who's the first trainer, Lucas? Or who's Baffin? Who's the first trainer? I'd have to. I probably should be Lucas, right? Uh, I need to yeah, go with more starters. Yeah, starter. But thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's pretty good. I mean, that's that's really nice of you to say that. And uh, well, that's what the, that's what the game's about. I mean, that's why we still do it. I mean, you know. My good friend Toby Keats says, you know, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. So if Secretarian comes in the barn tomorrow, guys, I'll be pretty good. Watch out. <laughs> Watch out. <laughs> What's up? Well, you won the Derby twice. 
You should have won it three times. Yeah. Am I right? No question. Nice well, you know, I, I told him that day, I said, you know, when he got beat, I said, you know, Pat Riley had said, uh, Ron, you know, Pat Riley. And I, and I, I said, uh, would you, what do you, you know, what is, what'd you do when you won that thing with the heat? He said, he got peace because he had won it with the Lakers. And when he got that, and I knew what he meant. I said, geez, that would have been great. Cause that third one, no matter what, that puts you in a different category. And we would have got some, you know, I'm not complaining, but I'm just saying that would have been incredible. We should have, we definitely should have won that day, but that was 2010. And that was a year. If you could believe it, if you look up that year, this is very interesting. I ran in every big race on the East Coast and in the Midwest. You say, what do you mean? Every single one. And we hit the board in every single one. That year, the Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont. I was second in the Derby. I was third in the Preakness. Could have won with Jackson Ben. Mike Smith got Calvin Burrell, believe it or not, on Super Save was a dead horse. What led him true? He was completely dead. He was nowhere that day. And Jackson Ben finished close third. And then the, and the next one, Fly Down, had nowhere to go. And Drossemeyer won. And on and on and on. We were second in the Haskell. We were second by a nose in the Travers. We had won the Pennsylvania Derby. We were second in the Gold. I was second in, I don't know, so many races. Third in the Breeders' Cup would fly down to blame and Zenyatta. He, he was shuttle, but that was some year. I mean, every race you could think of Florida Derby. I mean, the fountain, every race would Memorial. So many, <laughs> that 2010 was unbelievable. Great year, but man, we have a lot of seconds in big races. So that was a funny year. Glad well, you brought was, that up because what I was looking, I was looking at some of the, your accomplishments and you're a hall of famer. I mean, and there's no doubt about that. You have won the Preakness, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, the Kentucky Oaks, the Travers, the Jockey Club. You have won the Florida Derby three times. You won the Wood Memorial three times. You've won the Champagne Stakes five times and the Bluegrass three times. Lord Almighty. I mean, you forget, you forget the Pennsylvania Derby. Well, you forget the Pennsylvania Derby. We won that three times, too. The Pennsylvania wow. Derby. You forgot that, too. <laughs> well, it, it, I, well, can I tell you something? You need to put that on your yeah. website. <laughs> yeah, I it's guess I forgot it. Somebody that. Yeah, I guess Alex, somebody that, well, they're not keeping up with it, I guess, but I don't know. It's, uh, no, this is great. I mean, it's a great conversation because, look, it's what gets you up in the morning, which keeps you going. And uh, guys like you are really good because uh, you get the message out about racing, you know, which is, and, and the history of the game, which I love because a lot of people, you know, they, they don't have much history. They, you know, they're, you guys have been doing it a while and, uh, that's the good thing uh, that I like about it. And, um, you know, that's why I, I appreciate what you're doing. One thing that's interesting, Nick, and I've always I've seen this from afar and then getting to know you, is that you really take your time with your young horses. Um, and can you talk a little bit about that Nick Zito mentality when it comes to a young horse? You really don't want to get them to win first time out. If they win first time out, that's great, right? 
But what kind well, of things? Well, yeah, do you they mind? have to be exceptional. Well, they have to be exceptional. I had a few, as you know, over the years, and you know who they are: Birdstone, you know, Warpath. Yeah, you know, you could name them on your fingers. You know, you could name them, you know, right off. The I'll top give of your you head. one dialed in. But, but dialed in. Oh, that was. It's one of my favorite horses of all time. But when you think, uh, I think the reason is if you're going to develop them to be three-year-olds, or you know, later on. And to run in those races. And thank you for the compliment. I didn't realize we ran in 35. I think you said triple crown races. Am I right? That's what you said when we started this? 70. No, right. you started in more than 70. You've had more than 70 triple crown starters, which is second right. most in history. Second most. Well, anyway, make a long story short, that's what we're, you know, getting back to taking your time with the young horse. I don't think you, you know, if you don't have that in, in mind, if the thought process is not, look, I'm looking down the road. I mean, you have to have the clients, and today it's it's quite difficult unless you're what they call a super trainer with so many horses where they'll leave you alone. That's a different story. You know what I'm saying? That's a different mm-hmm. story. So, but when you have the clients that'll give you the chance to say, look, I really think he'll be better in the fall. And let's, you know, let's fire his shins or let's, you know, see, give him more time or whatever he's got. And, you know, just because it'd be better for everybody, that's what makes you get that many starters in those races. So, I, yes, thank you for that again, because I think that's one of the reasons we had so many starters in those races. Because we never, you know, if he was dialed in, if he was Birdstone, if he was Warpass, if he was... You know, you know, no diligence. I mean, you, you can, like I said, we can name them. So I have never had that many first time starter ones, but most of them have to do that for at this stable. They'd have to do it on their own. They have to be gifted that way. But I've had so many. I mean, I was looking at Albert the Great the other day. He earned three and a half million dollars the hard way. And he broke his maiden in his fifth start at Keeneland. And it's funny. You want to hear something, a trivia question, uh, Bruno? So Albert the Great was an older horse we had in the ball. He was a wonderful horse, wonderful horse. Never ran in a triple crown races. And he broke his maiden, I think, April 22nd. There was a horse in California. Don't forget, he's a three-year-old. Broke his maiden, I think, May something. I'm his pulling it up Tisnow. right now. His, now was, his name was Tisnow. Yes. How about that? So it shows you if you do take your time with horses, they can develop. And those are two outstanding horses. We battled him in the Breeders' Cup. We just got beat to him, says now. And uh, the third net. You, know, you got, a, you, you got a great mind. You've got a great mind. Yeah. You're going back yeah. 20 years. And Albert Gray broke yeah. the maiden on April 22nd, 2000 at Keeneland. There you go. And Tisnow, I think it was like May 10th or something like that. And they went on to, you know, Tisnow went on to win, you know, how great he was. Yes. So, you know, there is something to that. I bet Tisnow first time out. He finished sixth. I had him, I think I had a $10 triple ending. And I bet him, I thought he was the greatest star I'd ever seen. And he ran first time out, he ran sixth. And he ran on the same day. You're right, 4:22-2000 at Santa Anita. Came back in two in uh, 18 days. Ran second at Hollywood, 
and then broke his maiden on May 31st, 2000. He broke his maiden in his third start. Like they say, the rest is history. <laughs> right. And, and what is it about those horses, Nick? What is it about when you look at a horse that you say, you know what, I need to take your time? Is it immaturity? Is it they're still filling out? Or is it just learning about the game? I think it's a lot of that. I think you, you touched on all points, all valid. You know, a lot of times, a, you know, big, scrappy, strong horse will come in the barn and you say, wow, and you know, what do you expect? You know, you don't expect them to be secretarian. But the similarities are there. I mean, they're not secretarian. There's only one. But the similarities are there. So you just take your time and everything you just pointed out. I'd like to have an Albert the Great again, and that would be cool. Like that horse yeah. like that again in the barn. But we might we just keep working at it. We'll see. You got you got one up. that we're gonna talk about in a little bit that but the one thing I did want to bring up since you brought that up. Nick Zito has defeated two horses on the triple crown bit. The first one was with the Tara over Big Brown. Well, actually the first one was with Birdstone beating Smarty Jones. Smarty Jones, yes. And I would became a fan of you because I watched you and you said, you know, I'd love to see a triple crown. And you, I think you said, it came out of your mouth. You said, I kind of feel bad beating a triple crown. Yeah. Well, yeah, but we were doing, yeah, we were doing our job and that's what we were supposed to do. And, you know, one thing about it, we weren't afraid, you know, to, to be in that. And that's why, you know, unfortunately today there's so much with percentages, but you know, if you looked at that race, you're not going to be able to make history if you looked at percentages. But I was grateful that Birdstone came back and won the Travers too. So it wasn't a fluke, which was great. So, right. And then you bring up a great point and you bring up a great point. You have to be in it to win it. Number one. And number two, you yeah. can't be looking at your percentages because you got to run horses and you got to run horses. And if you don't run horses, they don't win. Yeah. What is it and, with you today? Know, what is it with the trainer today? Yeah, yeah it's just, uh, unfortunately, the owners and people that they got advising them, you know, they, they, you know, there's no thought process or selecting process and giving horses to trainers that have ability. It's just who's, who's doing well. You're doing well. So you got 150 horses, you get another 50. You got 250, you'll get three. You got 350, you get four. Because the people that run the the horse business for the owners, gentlemen and ladies, they're just interesting in that to save their jobs. So they just go to the guys with the best percentages and they figure, well, he's winning at 20% or 25%, it's going to make me look good. But at the end of the day, I don't think at the overall picture that makes much sense either. That's not good business sense to me because betting against yourself has never been a good idea. So, but that's life. You know, you can't tell he or she what to do with their property. That's what they call America, I guess. Uh, the one thing that I have noticed in this game that's changed a lot is that, and, and, and one of the problems with what you're des describing is when you have a trainer that has 200 horses, somebody's horse is going to get shuffled. You're not going to be yeah. able to run. For example, you want to run at Saratoga. Well, what if that trainer's got eight horses in front of you from bigger owners? Your horses will get shuffled. You'll end up at parks or you end up, you know, running, you know, later on at Belmont or your horse ends up training, 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 gets hurt. Is that a correct yeah. assessment? Probably. Uh, I'll give you a great stat. 
people don't know. I was very fortunate. I think I might have brought this up to you once, but um, I was stabled many years ago. When I first started, they put me at Belmont Park, and we were stable like far away, whatever. And then I started to win some races, and I moved up. And then I got a barn. I was barn two. It was one, two, three, and four. They actually called it, and it was six, seven, eight, or nine, like that. Ten, whatever. And they actually called that Millionaire's Row. Mm -hmm. And um, those barns in here, I think Shug was the cutoff. That's, you know, Mr. Phipps's barn, and Shug's still in there. Was the cutoff, and then you had to go the other way. But anyway, uh, so I was fortunate to be stabled right next to Woody Stevens. Bill Badgett and I kind of grew up on a racetrack together. We were good friends, and Billy worked for me for a little while. He's now the general manager at Gulfstream. But anyway, his father worked for Woody, and then Billy was working for me, and, and Woody wanted to hire him as an assistant. It was a great step up for Billy, and Woody come over to me and say, you know, he knows how to feed and everything. And I said, Man, yeah, he knows everything. You know, he'd be great for you. But anyway, so we got to be good friends. Billy worked for him. But anyway, I want to give you a stat that you won't believe. So I was in born two. Somebody was in bottom one. Woody was in, I believe, three and four. There are 18 stalls, guys, in those two barns. Three and four. 18 each of them. That means that Woody had a total of 36 horses to train at Belmont Park. Well, guess what? Five Belmonts in a row with 36 stalls. You think any wow. of these super trainers could do that today? I no. don't think so. <laughs> so to me, it's one of the great stats of all time. Nobody talks about that. So, you know, that's horsemanship. Chuck is kind of a, a throwback to, to that. You know, he worked for Frank Whiteley and uh, you know, I've right. been a, I'm a teenager. So I respect him as he's probably the closest thing to a Lee Stevens than I see as far as the overall horsemanship. There's some great trainers, but you know, they're not in that league, if you know what I mean. Great trainers, but what can I do? Now say? you were you were really friend you were friendly also with Bobby Frankel. Um oh, yeah. and you I mean you were with you were around all the the Hall of Famers, the Alan Jerkins and and yep. and the, the Bobby Frankels and the Woody Stevens. did you guys pick up stuff from each other? Or did you, and it was a little competitive. I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was. Well, the interesting thing about Bobby and I, I known him since I was a teenager. And then, I don't know, he went to California and he came back. We were friendly. And I don't know, we had a little bit of a, like you say, a, you know, we were running horses and, you know, Bobby would be outspoken and he said something about Birdstone one day. And <laughs> I don't know, I got mad. But thank the Lord, before he passed, we got friendly again, which I was very happy. You know, before he passed, we were friendly. So that was, well, you know, he was a great trainer, Bobby. Bobby was ahead of his time, too. Bobby had what we would call, I would say, modern methods. And, of course, it's no secret, Chad Brown, you know, every time he talks about anything, he talks about Bobby. So he, he, he worked, you know, for other trainers, but he, he certainly talks about Bobby. Like, you know, Bobby, you know, so everything that he does, he credits to Bobby. You know, which is uh, interesting. When you were growing up, and 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 if you can tell us a little bit about your youth and how you got into the game, what what made you become 
what did you have something that you can put your finger on and say, I really turned the corner when I did this in racing? Oh yeah, no question. Well, look, I grew up in what you call New York city. Say, what do you mean New York city? Well, we, I was born in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. We moved to Queens when I was six years old. My high school was John Adams, which was right next to Aqueduct. If a breeze blew open and Mr. Latterberg had the windows open, you could hear the call of the race. Wow. So it kind of got in my blood as a teenager. It was funny because, you, know, <laughs> you know, when I started to, let's say, you know, get to the triple crown races and they'd interview on me on TV. They'd always say I was, I was, you know, I was from Brooklyn. Well, I was born in Brooklyn because Brooklyn sounds cooler to the media and everything. But I'd have so many guys from Queens want to kill me and say, you grew up in Queens. You're from Queens. You're bullshit. You know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> because Brooklyn is like a cool thing. You know, it's like a cool thing, you know? So Vince Lombardi was born in Brooklyn. You know, it's an interesting concept. But anyway, it got my blood. My father took me to the track when I was 12, you know, like a kid. He'd have the security guards watch me because he could go in there, but he'd go in and make a few bits and, and then leave. And, then, and one time I jumped the fence. I was 12 years old. I had to get in the track. So, you know, it, 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 it's in your blood. I had this conversation. We brought up a mutual friend of ours, uh, Ron and I, Hank Colbert. I used to have the conversation with him. And it was funny, uh, we went to a Yankee game in the 90s, 1990, and introduced me to all these guys. It was kind of like, you know, he's a famous sports writer. And it's in sports uh, sports personality, excuse me. He's been on television worldwide and whatever. But it's in your blood. So his dad was a great, you know, uh, writer and a great sportsman. You know, sports, you know he, he did a lot of good things in, uh, in uh, sports. So it becomes in your blood. So for me, Bruno was in my blood. So, uh, and it's still there. What are you going to do? It's still there. Oh, you love the game. I, I talked to you and we talk about handicapping and you love the game. You love that history part of it. Um, and, and yeah. I think you're a big student of the game and being a student of 100%. the game. hundred percent. I still am. And being a student of the game, you have seen this game go through a lot of phases. Where are we at right now? Well, I think there's got to be more done about racing. Uh, I actually, I don't know if I ever was going to change gears, believe it or not. You know, uh, I, I like to have my own radio show, I'll be honest with you. But talk about racing, not just the, you know, whatever else there is to do. Like just, you know, the history and bring it up and, and try to revive it, I guess, in the right way. You know, maybe that's, you know, that's certainly a long shot, what I just brought up, but but I mean, I think that's where we're at today. I don't think, uh, I don't, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of emphasis, emphasis on, on gambling, obviously, and for, for good reason, because a lot of people, you know, like to bet horses and like to bet sports and it's a big thing, but I'd like probably if we were going to where we are today is it might not be able to do, it might not be feasible to get back to where it used to be to somewhat. But if somebody, if I could do that, that's where I think we are today. And unfortunately, um, this is the way the thing is right now. I don't see it that way. 
Let's see it that way. But we're in a situation that, you know, we're one of the few sports, you know, we're no better than anybody right now. It's a thrill to be racing. I mean, look at the other yeah. sports, right? I mean, look what they got to go through. It's a thriller to have racing right now. And, and you know, I don't know what this means when they say they're up. You know, they did, uh, Naira said that uh, last year, last opening weekend, weekday, they did uh, 73 million. This year we did 80 million. So it was up. I don't know what that means. You know, uh, profit center, why? I have no idea, but I do know one thing. Up means up, down means down. So <laughs> there's something going on right around, right? By the way, I think you having your own radio show would be a phenomenal idea. I I I, I would tune in because I'd want to know. Well, what I want. Say, I would want. I would want all, words. No, no, but I would want all call-ins. I don't. I don't want to. I, I don't care if it's. Look, I miss Billy from Brooklyn calling in. If you know what I mean. I miss yeah. Ron from Las Vegas calling in. I miss Hank calling in. I mean, I grew up with that. Hank had the greatest, Hank Goldberg had the greatest radio show in the history of the game, in my opinion. And, they, you know, he didn't care who called in. You know, it, it couldn't matter. And I think that's what we need. So maybe, you know, we'll see. Yeah. Hey, Let listen, me work you on it. First. You know what? I'm going to do yeah, it. Well, well, well put it this way. You heard it on your podcast first. I didn't tell anybody about this. It's the first time I mentioned that. So that's yeah. good. You got an excuse. Stay tuned. <laughs> I might, I might have to put some, I might have to put some Bronx and Brooklyn thing together, and then make sure that you know we can get some people to call in and say, "Hello, Nick. This is Eddie Boots. How you doing? You know that kind of well, thing." Don't worry about don't, don't worry about that. If we ever get it, I, I promise you, it'll be thousands of calls. I promise. Oh, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Don't worry about it. Don't um, worry about it. But um, the one thing about Nick, I, I, I see your work every day when I when I go to Keeneland. I, I see you watching your horses go. You've got a really nice horse that you ran in the bluegrass named Hunt to the Front. Am I correct? Yeah, I wasn't, you know, no offense to Jock. I know the horse was a million to one, but it was funny. I was thinking, I said, gee, I'm going to need a jockey. And I thought of Corey Landry. And then, lo and behold, 20 minutes later, here comes Raphael Barano in my barn. I had put him on his first stakes winner, Sir wow. Shackleton, his first one. And he rode something for me and a lot of good horses for me. And uh, he would have been ideal because he's a horse that, you know, anytime you got a real closer, any jockey will tell you, you have to shake him up. Because if you don't, he, he'll just, you know, he's not like a plotter because he does have a turn of foot. But if you don't shake him up, and I was so disappointed, Bruno, because I thought million to one or not, he was going to hit the board. I wasn't expecting him to win, but that was what I wanted him to do. So anyway, we, we grew up and see what happens, but might have been wishful thinking. I don't know, but uh, he had such a the great work. Let me interject from an outside opinion. Sure. I watched him train. And he worked yep. in a company, I believe, with a horse named yep. No Bad Days. who's not a bad horse. Yep. Um, no. um, I mean, he's no world beater, but, you know, he's a, he's a respectable horse that will go out there and try. And I think your Colt yeah. went 59-4, and four, out in 12-2, and two, and he did it the easiest away. Yeah. While really being yeah. in front and not being the late, you know, he showed a lot no, of speed. It was, yeah, it was, that's why I thought he'd hit the board. I wouldn't, you know, I've done this a million times, as you know. And I've been in big races, you know, my whole career. 
and those horses pay big prices because I, you know, I took the shot and put them in there. And, you know, whether it's the, you know, the Belmonts or the Florida Derbies or whatever, you know, I won some big races that way. And this was a horse that I thought for sure would hit the board and not that he was going to win or whatever, but I just thought we'd move on. So it's okay, but it's the way it goes. It's just, it was very disappointing because I really thought he had a good chance. But you live for another day. Just keep going. You live That's for right. another day. Any go. plans with Hunt to the Front that you have in mind for him? I'll just see what happens. I mean, we'll see what happens. You know, I'm, you never say never. And one thing about, about our stable, we never say never. And sometimes crazy things happen. You know, you never know why, which foot goes which way. And all of a sudden, you know, you're back in the game again. And, you know, because not many horses can go a mile and a quarter. How many horses could go, you know, a distance of ground? So you never know. You know, you see. No, that's, that's true these days. We breed for milers. But, um, and Nick, over the course of history and, and you being on the track, is there a specific horse that you trained or I'll tell you, one of the horses that pops in my head before I knew you was Commentator. And that seems to be oh, a lot of people's fit. Yes. Talk, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about him? Well, I think the most disappointing thing with him was his third Whitney. People might say, what do you mean third Whitney? Well, he won two Whitneys. One, he was five years old, and then he was eight. And he, the next year, he was nine. And I honestly think what happened was he had like a rabbit in there and didn't get the best of deals, but I honestly think he could have pulled it off and he didn't march right into the hall of fame. And I, and he still might have a shot down the road, but, but I just think he's just a tremendous, tremendous horse. Was he all heart? Because there, I remember he had a lot of breaks. Um, you had to really baby him. Did he have a lot of heart that made him run through whatever he had? Absolutely. A hundred percent. 100%. What about Gopher Jen? I I don't mean They were all great. Those were great horses you talked about. He was a great horse, Gopher Jen. He was great. You know, I said, well, again, you you win the Derby, second in the Preakness, second in the Belmont. I mean, it's very consistent of horse. He was good. He was a very good horse. Then he got, you know, like everything else, they get older or they get, in the following year, he just didn't have the best of whatever. I worked them one day, and uh, I, I was really sad myself. Track, I don't know. They had sealed it, then they unsealed it. And uh, anytime you you second guess yourself, you gotta just wait it out. And, yeah. You know, I don't think it was the same after that. And uh, but hey, he did sire out with the great, and I got to train out with the great, so that wasn't bad. There was I did a little homework on Gopher Chin because in nineteen you won the. The Derby in 1994, you beat Holy Bull and Bracco and a couple other horses on a, on a muddy, a wet uh, yeah. Churchill Downs. In, uh, Churchill Downs. Uh, I was in Mexico. I was on a cruise with a bunch of horse players and Roger Stein, and we took a down to Ensenada and watched the Derby from some little sports book in Caliente down in Ensenada eating tacos. And I remember the horse winning. And then I did a little homework on the horse later on. And I, I found some interesting stuff. He was, I believe you bought him for about a hundred something thousand. 150. 150. And if, and, and I saw some quotes that everybody loved them. Everybody's, oh, we were all on go for gin. Can you talk about how the heck, if everybody was on go for gin, what kind of magic did Nick Zeta pull to pull that horse out of her, out of his hat? 
Yeah, it was just nice. It just was, he had a beautiful work. I told Chris McCarron, he was open. He came in, he flew in to work the horse. The horse worked lights out. He went three quarters and 14. You know, he came home from 23 flat. And he told all his family, he said, wow, this just has some shot. And then Holy Bull, for whatever reason, he didn't handle the off track. You know, that was it. So, you know, right time, right place. Always getting the horse right. That's a big that's a big thing. If you don't enter them, you can't win it. Now, you have developed. I was looking at a list of Nick Zito stallions. It's like the who's who over the years. I can't see another trainer. Maybe Pletcher has some. Baffert. But you developed some real stallions over the years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we were, we trained that rattle song at the end of his career, Mr. Greeley. There's so many, just like you said, there's quite a few, but uh, those stand out. Am I right? Those stand yeah. out. So. And and a lot of people don't know you bought Stay Thirsty. Um, yeah, I certainly did. I bought a lot of good horses. <laughs> yeah. I uh, a lot was, of good was, horses. Yeah, I mean, is there any particular horse that you remember that you can say, Hey, you know what? I wish he could have been a champion that you trained. Oh, that boy, that's a great choice. Yeah, probably dialed in. That was a tough one. You know, that was tough. Uh, fly down was tough. Uh, you know, there's a, quite a few. What's Jackson, the best horse you ever trained? Jackson. Well, I think Jackson. the horse would, you know, I had so, I had so many good ones. But I think the horse with the most ability, I, I hate to say it, but probably ability-wise was Unbridled Song, ability-wise. But I had so many great, great, great horses. But ability-wise, he, you know, the horse could do anything. And look, look at, I mean, look at some of the horses. You know, you look at the Judmont horse that Baffert had. You know, he's by, you know, was by Unbridled Song. And you know, some of the horses that he's had over the years. Uh, Spectacular, you know, so many good ones, right? What was it? What was it about Unbridled Song? And I know you got yeah. him later in his career. He probably had his share of yeah, issues. Yeah, well, this was a, this was a monster. He just was a monster. He was a big, powerful, talented, tremendous athlete, and he could do things that horses couldn't do. If you look at his last race of his career, the Unbridled Song, aside all these. Horses that I just mentioned, right? I mean, he's a who's who, right? On the list uh, of battle song of having great right. horses. And you look at his last race, it kind of reminds me of the Baffert horse because I'll tell you why. It was 1996. Arrogant. A race called the, the, Olymp yeah. the Olympia. The Olympia Stakes. He's running against a horse called Appealing Ski, I believe it was. Rick Wilson was the jockey, Benny Burton. And fastest sprinter alive. And Ronald Song was right next to him, inhaling him every stride. Mike Smith posing in the end. I think running seven eights and one twenty one pulled up. Could have broke the world's record that day, literally. If anybody wants to see a race. And then if you look at the the, the horse that won the Travers, the Judmont horse at Baffert. A nice horse. Yeah, you know, one of the, um, yeah, that beat uh, 
California Chrome. If you look at yeah, if you look at if you look at Arrogate, and you look at Unbridled Song, in the Travers and in the Olympia, it's like a carbon copy. Got a shadow on Unbridled Song. Got a shadow on Mike Smith's on them. It's just a carbon copy. So wow. you know, when you say who the best horse, you know, so I had so many. You know, Strikey was great and. 36 Red, Louis Couture's, and oh, and dialed in. Strike the Golden, Chris and Jackson, and, and so many, so many horses I had. But uh, listen, this was really enjoyable. And uh, believe it or not, they're waving at me, Bruno. So, uh, well, Nick, to, it's been. Hope I'm not thank you short. so much. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, people love to hear oh, from my you. Pleasure. And I'm going to have you back on, and we're going to talk about even more stuff, and we're going to talk about a little bit about the game. Nick Zito has been go. gracious enough to come on board, a Hall of Famer, a legend. My friend, you have a wonderful evening. Same to you guys. Thank you so much. And say what a Hank Goldberg for me. That was a phenomenal experience for me to interview uh, a guy that has been a legend in this game. And um, you just pull for Nick to have one or two big, big horses. That'd be great. I'd be right in the front row cheering him on uh, i'll be his minion the one with the one eye you know yeah. anyway that i digress but also we've got the big promo that we teased you with earlier it's 25 percent off all subscriptions this week and only this week by using the coupon code spa but you can also write me and say hello to racing with bruno and let me know how you want to say we thank you for being a horse player and let's become powerful together at the windows. Now, let me bring my buddy Ron in. Ron Flatter from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hey, Ron, how you doing? And how hot is it in Vegas? Uh, I tell you what, I'm doing great after listening to Nick. 104, by the way, the temperature when we were recording. You're at uh, 5 o'clock where you are and 2 o'clock where I am on Monday the 20th. Ron, I, I, that was really, really cool with Nick. It was. And I know you've had the feeding time. They were waving them off and... <laughs> and he's trying to take care of his horses. And the one horse that he likes a lot, and I've seen him, and I think he's talented, his name is Hunt to the Front. You were talking about your promo, and this goes back to the beginning of the show where you were discussing some of the ideas that you have for horse players. And I certainly, using your product, know what some of those ideas are. But everybody wants to make a score, and whenever I have a score, I wonder if I got lucky or if I was applying knowledge, or when I have bad luck, is it a lack of knowledge? What is it? You know, it's a great question because I think it's a little bit. It's it's both. Um, I'm a and and I'm like Nick. I'm a big believer in history, and yeah. I've used history of the game and history of what I've got, or just information that I've had from past experiences. Even with that specific horse, um, and and it's worked out for myself to make money. And I'll give you, a, 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 you know, I'll give you some examples. Mm-hmm. Um, I made uh, one to five into a hundred to one back on uh, July twenty fourth, twenty sixteenth at Spa with Songbird. Um, I think I hit for twenty three thousand on the pick four because I felt I wasn't going to play that day, and and Songbird was thirty cents on the dollar. But I wasn't going to play. But what happened was I started looking at the entire card. And and looking back in the eighth race to kick off the pick four, uh, there was two horses I liked. I liked a horse named Pico Uno that was trained by Jason Service. And there was a Todd Pletcher called Super Surprise. I used them both in the pick four. In the tenth race, 
I ended up spreading a little bit, but there was a horse. I should be that the the ninth race was mm -hmm. the, the 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 next race in in the, in the sequence, and I had been following a horse over the last six months from the Kieran McLaughlin barn named Gap Year, and Kieran is always really good at getting horses to fire off the layoff at Saratoga. And the filly, you know, I, she was a big price. I think she was 15 to 1. And I used two or three or four horses in there, and she was one of them. I picked her on top. She went off at 20 to, 20 to 1. She won, paid 42.80. Now I'm going into my single, mm -hmm. which is Songbird. So now I'm sitting and I've turned a pick four into a pick three. And I used the 11th race, was the last race on the card. And I looked at it up and down, and there was a George Arnold horse that had run at Ellis Park three weeks before, and it finished like sixth. And I thought, you know, it, that was going to be a big, big price. You know, you've got a couple of favorites in there. You got one at two to one. It's a that used to be a Chad Brown named Data Driven. So I ended up I ended up using Derby Champagne as one of my four or five horses. So I really turned a, a pick four into a pick three with Singling Songbird. Well, Darby Champagne wins at twenty nine to one. Ooh. The the two dollar pick four paid ten thousand seven hundred and eighty six dollars. I had it for five dollars because it was a really relatively light ticket. Mm -hmm. um, so it ended up being around twenty twenty five twenty six thousand dollars. Nice. There was there and and so there was using a one to five <laughs> and being able to scope out the product and coming up with. Um, a, a, a pretty good idea on how to, you know, try to maximize it. Mm -hmm. In 2017, we did it again. And this was a first-time course. I was just going to ask you about that. When you're looking at first-time starters, there's always that unknown there. But it's not really unknown, is it? In, in this case, it kind of gives you a little bit of an insight in my mental aspect mm -hmm. of it. I, I There was a horse that was in the last race of the pick four and pick five sequence. And it was a first-time starter from Steve Asmussen. And and people go, oh, well, Steve Asmussen, you've got to play it. Yes and no. The horse had two generic drills at, at Saratoga. It had come from Churchill. It had a 47 flat at Churchill. It was by Fast Bullet, a Zayat stallion that nobody knew about. He was a fast horse, but he didn't have anything... As two-year-olds, he didn't have much. He wasn't much of a stallion. At least he didn't get the mares. Well, about a week prior to, a couple of weeks prior to that, Mike Malika of Breeze Easy had a very, very nice filly named um, Mina. Uh, I want to say Mina Doro, if I'm not mistaken. She was a Medalla Doro that he had turned down four hundred thousand and then bought her back for seven hundred thousand at a, at a two-year-old sale. And I knew she was talented. And I ran into him at the New York uh, sale at Saratoga there facing Tipton. And he asked me, he goes, how'd my filly work? And I said, she went about a minute real nice and easy. She's been working with the same horse. They've been doing it real easy. And, I, and, and he goes, do you know who that other horse is? And I said, I, I think it's, it's, it's an obscure bred Zayat horse that I don't know much about. He hasn't been entered yet. Well, he was entered that, for that day. And he was entered. His name was Pure Shock. And he was at the end of the sequence, and I went, I just looked at it, and I had, again, two nondiscreet works. 
One was a 47 and change out of gate. The other was a minute and three. It didn't wow you. But he was owned and bred by Norma McCathan and the McCathan family. The McCathans got horses ready for Baffert for the two-year-old sales and, and two-year-old racing. They were fantastic producers of getting horses ready. So I went to a different toolbox there mm -hmm. to pull that out and knowing who those uh, people were. So that day, I'm sitting on the back stand at Whitney watching horses train, and who's standing next to me? Mr. McCathan. And I'm like, he's still here. They like their horse, mm. right? So he goes off at he goes off at a huge price. I think he went off at around twenty. He went twenty three to one in a full field with Chads, Todds. Um, there was uh, there was a uh, a very nice colt named Avery Island for McLaughlin in the race. Um, there was even a horse named Tweeter in Chief in that race. <laughs> but this horse goes. So, so to give you a bad story, I'm sitting in my cabin, and it's right before the first race, and I'm going to play the pick five. Well, as I'm getting myself ready, I already have my, my soul beer with a lime. I'm ready to go, starting early. And I go in to move, and I knock my beer all over the table, all over my computer, all over the desk, going underneath the TV. So I'm thinking, oh, the day is not starting good. So now I got to clean all that up. I had to clean all that up to make sure I don't get everything sticky and not everything's going to get destroyed. I missed the first race. So I don't play the pick five. And the winner is a horse I had on top, Southside Warrior. So now I'm like, ah, I got to play the pick four now because I'm a knucklehead. Am I going to play? Is this an omen to a bad luck day? I push through it. So the first race, we come up with two horses. Ismosh for I believe was Cox and an honorable treasure was a McPeak and he the honorable treasure wins at seven to two. Okay, I'll take that. The third race was interesting. It was a small field of seven horses. Well, what I did is I went and singled pure shot in the last. So now I could play. I wheeled the middle race and I got the horse that I picked on top anyway. Asians way wins at 10 to one. Right. So now I'm saying, OK, I'm excited now. So now we go to the fourth race in the fourth race. There was a horse that I really loved. I loved watching him train. He was a neat horse. He's still around. Uh, Hello, Don Julio, that we had big work on. He wins and pays. Uh, he pays um, eight dollars. And now we go to my to, to the final. And I've got this no action on the board. Twenty three to one on the board. And I'm thinking, oh, boy. What did I get myself into? Ricardo Santana's riding. I'm telling you, Ron, it wasn't in doubt from the start. Santana hmm. gets out of the gate. He's got an outside post. He gets out of the gate. He goes to the lead. Exactly what I thought because the McCathans teach speed. Boom, the horse goes to the lead. He opens up one at the half-mile pole. And by the stretch call, I'm yelling my lungs out <laughs> because I've got a multiple pick four ticket. And he's up by three in the stretch. He wins by two over a horse named Lord and Super Sermon from the Chad Brown and Todd Fletcher. Not only do I bet to win at $48, I have the exacta that pays $343.50 for two, and I've got a multiple pick four ticket that pays $27,937 for every $2. My. Not a bad way to go. All, 
all because I uh, and by the way the pick the pick five that beer cost me one hundred and eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> no, actually, is that, that counting the lime? The, the fifty cents was forty five thousand. <laughs> but that is a case of where I didn't allow that little hiccup to ruin my day. I stick with I stick with my plan. I went with information other than just saying, "Hey, this horse is working great." I went with intangibles. I went with the connections, knowing and understanding what they did from my 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 experience in the sales. Mm. So, um, we're going to be doing this. We're going to be doing this um, a little bit more next time out too, where I'm going to tell you the story of my forty-seven thousand dollar hit at Stephen Foster night mm-hmm. on June 16, twenty eighteen, and. Uh, two years ago at Saratoga, it seems like every year at Saratoga we got something. Uh, a, a nice $8,000 score early in the meet after a tough start to the meet. But you don't have to have concrete evidence. on. You just have conviction, and you've got to use some luck and skill, and you've got to have something other than what everybody else has. It's that inside knowledge of who and what and where and when You'd be able to make a score. So when you say to me, you know, is it luck or skill? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well put. Two things can be true at the same time, as they say. Excellent. I'm looking forward to some of these other stories. I know you've got one that you'll be telling about how you actually beat a Baffert when you were beating a favorite and made a big score. So you tease that a little bit. So we'll do that. That's a future oh, yeah. episode. That's yeah, up your that's sleeve. That's Foster Knight score. Yeah. Okay. So that's your. That's coming up. Yeah, and that 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 score, we beat a we beat three odds on plays, three odds on horses in that pick five score that we knocked all three of them. And one was a Chad Brown, one was a Mark Cassie, and one was a Bob Baffert. Wow! So that's 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 a full house. Looking forward to hearing that tale. Ron, thanks for joining me, and thanks for helping us out. Remember, twenty five percent off using the coupon code SPA S P A SPA at racingwithbruno.com, and you can write me and say, Bruno, make me a deal at bruno at racingwithbruno.com. I want to thank Nick Zito. I want to thank Ron Flatter. Without you guys, we wouldn't have a podcast. We wouldn't have a game. We wouldn't have the, the things we have today. Let's do it again next week. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.